0: unchangeable, unshakable, and unstoppable. That is our God. Do we believe that is the question? Yes, we do. We do. Uh, uh, Open your Bibles to wherever you want to open them. So today uh, we were, uh, I'm going to begin an introduction today to a series of divine perfections. And we're going to Preach through some of these divine perfections of God, or as we can use terms, the attributes of God. And I think it'll be a good uh, preaching series to go through as it will piggyback on the Nicene Creed and it will just magnify and it will glorify, and you will all see in the attributes of God this splendor and majesty. And Lord willing, it will change our hearts to love him more. So with that, let's pray, and then we'll get started. Father, thank you for this time that we can come into your presence, Lord, and worship you in our singing and in our giving. Lord, thank you that the battle belongs to you. Thank you, Father, that you... Have You have won the battle, Lord. You have won the war. You have come from the tomb. You sit at your Father's right hand, Lord Jesus, and you rule. Thank you that you not only rule from heaven, but you rule within our hearts, Lord. And I just ask now, Father, that you would come and you would encourage us, that you would glorify yourself, That you would put your son on glorious display, Lord. As we look at you and who you are, may it change us, Father, to be children who are obedient to a loving, caring God. In your name, amen. So what is it that makes a person attractive? There's attributes that people have that we are attracted to. Now, some of the things that we're not attracted to is we're not attracted to, oh, I would hope not. Maybe there are some people that are. But I would hope that we're not attracted to mean people, to unkind people, to uh, people that are rebellious or just have bad lifestyles. But sometimes we are attracted to that and, I just thought of that in my head, but I hope that we're not. But what are we attracted to? What what attracts people to ourselves? Maybe it's just this genuine love for the Lord. When you get around somebody that's a fellow believer and they just have this genuine affections for Christ, you're like, man, I want to be around that person because they love the Lord. Oftentimes when I'm working on somebody in the chair, I might be having a new client and all of a sudden, the conversation starts to turn, and you're like, This is a believer. Because you, you, you just turn that direction. And so maybe that's what's attractive is just that there's somebody that they just love the Lord. Maybe it's their physical appearance. We can't lie, right? There's things that we're attracted to, we're attracted to, to physical appearances. Maybe they have a stunning personality. Or they make you laugh and feel special. Maybe they have a great sense of humor. They're kind, they're not conceited, they're genuine, they're loving, and all around they're just a good person. These are attributes that people have that are attractive, that attract us to them. So then the question that I want to ask is, is what makes God attractive that we would be attracted to Him? Because we've never seen Him. We've never touched him. So what is it that makes him attractive? That we would desire him. So the Westminster Confession puts it this way. What is the chief end of man? Does anybody know the answer? Enjoy Him forever. That's the answer. That's the chief end of man, is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. How do we enjoy somebody if we don't know somebody? How do we enjoy them? So this is what I want us to to see, and I want us to enjoy Him. Romans 11.36 says for this, For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be glory forever. Amen. 1 Corinthians 10.31 So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Psalm 73, 25 and 26 Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is, no, there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. This Psalm 73 is an incredible psalm. It's a psalm by Asaph, and what he does in the beginning is he sees how the wicked prosper. And we see that in our own eyes today. We see how the wicked prosper, the wicked are the ones who are gaining. And so what Asaph comes to in this sense of the Westminster Confession of Faith is glorifying God and enjoying Him forever. This is what he's coming to. Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is nothing on earth that I I desire besides you. Is that our heart's cry? There's nothing on this planet that we desire more than God. That is a question we have to ask ourselves. Henry Skugel says it this way. The worth and excellency of a soul is measured by the object of its affections. Is God the absolute desire of your soul that your affections are the most glorified because of Him? The value that you place upon your soul is is determined by that object. Is the eternal, everlasting, self-existing, immutable, unchangeable God that worth in your soul, that you would desire nothing else? Solomon, in the Song of Solomon, as he talks to his bride... And this is how Jesus looks at us as His bride. In Song Solomon, verse four or chapter four, verse seven, He says, "You are altogether beautiful, my love. There is no flaw in you." This is Solomon as he talks to the talks to the Shulamite woman, his bride, and he says that that you are altogether beautiful, my love. As a sidebar, gentlemen, do you say that to your wives? And if you don't, maybe you should start. Because that's what they are, right? They're, they're all together beautiful to us. But that's how Jesus refers to us also as his bride. Because of what he has done on the cross. He has redeemed his bride. He has reconciled his bride. We are pure and undefiled that Jesus can look at his bride and says, there is no flaw in you. But is that how you and I view God? Is that our view of God? Do do we, in our prayers, pray that prayer about God? Do we say, oh Lord, you are altogether beautiful. You are my love. There is absolutely no flaw in you. That's how Solomon puts it. A.W. Pink writes this. He says, an unknown God can neither be trusted, served, or worshiped. A.W. Tozer says in his book, Knowledge of the Holy, he writes, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Let me quote that one again. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Think about what Jeremiah says. Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 9, he says, Thus says the Lord, not... Wow, what a powerful statement. We are not to be people who boast in our wisdom or boast in our might or boast in our riches, but we are to be people that boast in the Lord. That should be our boast. Paul, writing to the Corinthians, he says, it's Christ we proclaim, not ourselves. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Tells us that we are saved by grace through faith, this not of yourselves, but as the work of God, that no man may boast. Our boasting should be in the Lord, that we understand and we know Him. Do we do do we understand the Lord? Can we understand the Lord completely? No. We can't understand the Lord completely because his ways are not our ways and his thoughts are not our thoughts. As far as the heavens are above the earth, so are his ways above ours. So we cannot understand him fully. But what he's revealed in scripture about himself, we can understand. We can understand. So I want us to see the beauty and the glory and the majesty of our God by looking at these attributes. My desire would be that we would be Christians, disciples, God's children, that find our rest, our peace, our comfort, our joy, and our hope in the immutable, holy, transcendent, all-knowing, all-powerful, ever-present God who is merciful, gracious, kind, loving, and faithful. That is the goal of this series, that we would see his glory and these splendors. So, then, what is an attribute? What is an attribute? Let's define attribute first. An attribute defined by Webster is this a quality or feature regarded as a characteristic or inherent part of someone or something. So it's a quality of God, it's a feature of God, it's a characteristic of God that we want to look at. But his features and his characteristics should be those features and characteristics that draw us unto him. That we see as altogether lovely, that there is no flaw in them. These are his attributes. He has two types of attributes when we look at the scripture. He has communicable attributes and he has non-communicable attributes. Now communicable attributes are those attributes that can be transmitted or transferred to us. For example, love, grace, mercy, compassion, faithfulness, holiness. Those are attributes that God has that we also can have. We can love. We can be gracious. We can be merciful. We can have those. But then there's non-communicable attributes. Now, those are attributes that are solely God's. And those would be, he's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He's everywhere present. He's self-existent. He's transcendent. He's immutable. Those would be those where it is. We are none of those. We cannot be all powerful. We cannot be all knowing, although I think some of us think that we are. Me and Jenny were talking about this yesterday. (laughs) And uh, we can't be everywhere present. Right? God is immutable. He is unchangeable. He's unchanging. We change all the time. Right? His word says that he is the same today, yesterday, and forever. He doesn't change. Those are solely attributes that are given to him that are glorious attributes. They're glorious attributes. And we find our comfort and our joy and our hope in those attributes. How you and I view God according to who he is will notify our hearts whether we truly believe that God is a big God or a small God. How we understand God And the reality of who he is will determine in our heart whether he's big. Is he a big God? Do you think he is big enough to take on all of your cares? That he's big enough to care for you? Or do you think, like me, that he needs help sometimes? We have a big God. We have a gracious God. We don't have a small God. He is big, and he is glorious, and he is full of splendor. So one thing we must realize, though, is that God is the source of all attributes. He is the source of all attributes, communicable and non-communicable attributes. They all find their existence in him. And we find this because we say that God is self-existent. God is all-powerful. We'll look at a few of those. But do you see the key word, is? Is. That word is goes to show that he is the very source of all these attributes. He is the very source of grace. He is the very source of love. That is what the Bible tells us. It says that God is Love. Think on these thoughts. God is love. 1 John 4.8 Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. It exists in Him. He is the source of it. He is light, the Bible tells us. It also tells us that God is gracious. He is the author of unmerited favor. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, right? For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no man may boast, right? Ephesians 2, 8 says, For by grace, it is His grace, It is not our grace that we are saved. It is his grace. He is the author of grace. He is the very source of grace. He is faithful. The Bible tells us God is faithful in Deuteronomy 7, 9. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to thousands of generations. So God is love, God is gracious, God is faithful. And we say this one, God is good all the time. And then on a reverse, all the time, God is good. But God is good. You know, and this this is staggering because when we read our Bibles and we read Romans 3, it says in the Bible, in Romans 3, it says, no one understands No one seeks after God, no one is righteous, no one is good. Even Jesus says that, why do you call me good? There's only one who is good, and that is the Father. God is good. He is good. Psalms 119.68, you are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. His statutes, His word, His precept, His commandments. It's the Bible, teach me these things. So when we look into the Bible and we read about God, we can see that He is good. And it starts right off in creation, right? He is good in creation because He creates all these things. And as we look at creation and we look at how creation goes, His his greatest creation, his greatest creation is when he creates man in his own image. But God is so good to create man in his own image that he has already prepared everything for man. He is good and he is gracious. He is a good God and he is a merciful God. Psalms 136.1. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. This is his mercy. It endures forever, that mercy does. He's a merciful God. This is what he does. He sends Christ to the cross. It's mercy. It's grace. And we'll take these and we'll go into them deeper. As we look at them, I just wanted to give us a taste. God is holy. He's a holy God. There is no flaw within him. There is no imperfection in him. I can't fathom that. Because all day, all the time, we are around imperfect people. But God is not imperfect. He is perfect in every way. He is righteous in every way. Every thought he has is right. Every word he says is right. He is absolutely, perfectly holy. Revelation 15:4 says this Who will not fear O Lord and glorify your name for you alone are holy All nations will come and worship you for your righteous acts have been revealed God is holy The angels derive their holiness from God. We derive our holiness from God. We just spent a whole hour talking about our sanctification. That holiness, it comes from God. It's the work of the Holy Spirit working in us to make us holy. But it is from Him. He is the source of holiness. He is the source of all power. This is the one I wish I could have, is all power. <laughs> wish I could have this one. If any of them, this one would be the one I'd want because I would smash people. So, But God is all powerful. Or if we use the word, he is omnipotent. If you hear that word omnipotent, it simply means that God is all powerful. Psalm 62.11 puts it this way. Once God has spoken, twice I have heard this, that power belongs to God. It's his power, right? We we sang in this song, this this Phil Wickham song, that the battle belongs to the Lord. Yeah, he's the one. He's the one that has the power. He is the one that has the power. He is all-knowing. Or we use the term omniscient. So if you hear the term omniscient, that simply means that he is all-knowing. Psalm 139, David writes this, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. God knows us better than we know ourselves. He knows the deepest, darkest sin that's in our hearts. That's what he knows. He searches the depths of your heart. And then he reveals it to you because he knows you. He knows you. He, he continues in verses 2 through 6. He says, You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. This one's scary. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. This is King David. He looks at God's knowledge. He looks at his, his omniscience and he says, Such knowledge. Is too wonderful for me. It is high. I can't attain it. Wow. What a tremendous God we worship. He's not only all powerful and all knowing, but He's everywhere present. Again, in Psalms 139, 7 through 10, David writes, Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? Good question. Where can we go? As we look up here, where can we go? Can we run from God? Can we run from his spirit? Can we flee from his presence? Oh man, I wish I could, right? In Revelation it says they try to hide themselves in the clefts of the mountains. They try to hide from the presence of God. But what does he say? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. Brothers and sisters, there is nowhere you and I can go to escape the presence of God. That is what's beautiful, right? The Hebrews, the writer of the Hebrews, that's what he says. You know, let you, you know, be free from the love of money. Why? Because the Lord says he will never leave you or forsake you. He is always with us. His Spirit dwells within us now. We are sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 1 says. Romans 8 says that that Spirit dwells in us, He is everywhere present. So, what does this mean for us? We have to bring this in, right? Having all this knowledge, and this is what we'll do through the whole thing, is we'll, we'll have application for what it means to us. Now, I'm not saying what it means to me is gonna be the same thing it means to you. I'll try to care. But this is what we wanna look at. When we look at God's attributes and who he is, what's it mean for us? I think it means a few things. I, I think it gives us fuel to pursue holiness. Knowing God's attributes gives us the fuel in our tanks to pursue and chase after him. Because we know he is good and merciful and gracious, we chase after him. First Peter one fourteen through sixteen says this As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he has called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. That means in All of our thoughts, in all of our speech, in all of our actions. Paul in Romans 6 puts it a different way. Paul in Romans 6 says that we are to use our instruments, our fingers, our eyes, our mouth, our toes, as instruments of righteousness. This is pursuing this holiness. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. God demands a holy people. When we read the book of Joshua, what what were the Israelites supposed to do? They were supposed to go in and clean out the land because God wants a holy people. But did they do that? Nope, they left some people in the land. (laughs) They made covenants with the Canaanites. right? But he wants a holy people. Brothers and sisters, we are to be holy. And when we see God in all of his glory, and in all of his splendor, we will have fuel to pursue that holiness. Secondly, when we understand God's attributes, it will transform our prayer life. Our prayer life will go off of the chart. Because we will realize that we pray to an all-powerful, mighty God. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says that it transforms us in that we will pray continually. God will be continually on our mind. We'll be in this conversation with Him. First Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. In Colossians 4.2, our prayer will be with absolute devotion. Continue steadfastly in prayer. Being watchful in it with thanksgiving. And then in Ephesians 3, we will pray to a powerful God. And Paul puts it this way, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us. He is a big God. He is a powerful God. We should pray big prayers. We should pray for his power to be seen because he will do far more abundantly than we even ask. Knowing him will change our prayer lives. Not only that, but third, it'll give us peace in troubled times. His attributes will comfort us, give us peace in troubled times. Psalms, or John 14, 1, Let not your hearts be troubled. Right? Believe in God, believe also in me. This is what Jesus tells his disciples because in John 13, he tells them that he's leaving, that he's going to the Father, and their hearts are Troubled. He says, don't be troubled in your hearts. Believe in me. And believe in God. Believe that he is all these things that we'll look at. Not only does it give us peace in troubled times, but we have hope when all things fail. We have hope when all things fail. Brothers and sisters, we're looking at our world today, man, it looks like it's falling all apart, doesn't it? You know, it's it's going crazy, but it's actually falling into place. It's not falling apart. But we can look at all these things and think that, oh man, life is falling apart. We might have lives; our lives might be an absolute disaster, a wreck, and we feel like everything is falling apart. But knowing God gives us hope when all other things fail. Psalms thirty-three twenty-two. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. Lamentations 3.24, The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. And remember when we talked about hope, hope is a for sure thing in the Bible. It's a for sure thing that God is going to fulfill all of his promises to us. Therefore, I will hope in him. Why? Because he is faithful. Why? Because he is good. Why? Because he is all-powerful. You see, our whole lives become transformed when we see who God is. Not only that, but we have joy when life is bleak. We have joy when life is bleak, Hebrews ten thirty four, For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and abiding one. These were the Hebrew believers. When joy is bleak, when someone comes in and starts to take everything you have, when the government begins to take all of your money, all of your possessions, when people come in and they want to plunder everything that you have, knowing God gives us joy still because we know we have a better hope. We have an abiding hope. We have a better possession. So give gives us joy when life is bleak. It gives us Confidence to live life in the sovereign hand of God. He gives us confidence in knowing that there's nothing out of God's control. He's got it all handled, he doesn't need my help. He is the sovereign God the sovereign God. Listen to Isaiah 46, 11. Calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my counsel from a far country, I have spoken and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed and I will do it. That's what God says. I have spoken. I will bring it to pass. I have purposed. I will do it. Turn with me really quick to Daniel chapter 4. We all know Nebuchadnezzar, right? He was this delightful dude that wanted all this worship and built this incredible kingdom. Daniel's after Ezekiel in case you need to know that. Daniel chapter 4. I want us to look at what Nebuchadnezzar, he's kind of got a change of mind, but what it does is it talks about God's sovereignty, talks about God's sovereign hand. All the way through the book of Daniel, we see God's sovereignty all the way through the book of Daniel. We see his sovereign hand completely. He says, King Nebuchadnezzar, this is the first verse, to all peoples and nations and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you, it has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. How great are his science, how mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion endures from generation to generation. Flip over to the very end of that and look at verses uh, 34 and 30. Uh, just look at verse 35. Well, no, look at verse 34, sorry. At the end of my days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, this is after God brings him back after becoming a beast of the field, Wow. This is powerful King Nebuchadnezzar brought down by our powerful God, our sovereign God, his supremacy, his dominion. Psalms 145, 13, your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. Right? His dominion, His supremacy, His sovereignty. What does that do? It gives us faith. It gives us confidence in Him. And finally, we can trust in His goodness. We can trust in His goodness. That's what we can do. All things work together for good. So which things don't work together for good? There's got to be some stuff, right? Because we obviously live life sometimes that not all things work together for good, right? So there's got to be some things. But as believers, when we start to see God in who He is and the character that He is, we truly believe this, that all things work together for good. For those who love God and are called according to His purpose. And Paul defines those things later on in chapter eight, but he calls them famines, the sword. all these things. They work together for good. We can trust that God is good, even in times that it doesn't seem good, we can trust that He is good. Listen to Proverbs three: five, 5 through eight, right? It, this is a, a simple verse. It says, "Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding." In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. It's trust. It's not trust in our understanding. It's not trust in our paths. It's not trust in our wisdom. But it's trust in a good and gracious God. That he is the one that makes our path straight. That he is the only wise one. That he heals our flesh. And he refreshes our bones. Because he is a good God. Even when bad things are taking place, it is good. I know sometimes that's really hard to grasp. But it's true. But it's true. So my hope to close my hope is that through the study of these divine perfections of god that our love will be enhanced for god that our trust in god will be increased and that our worship will be enhanced to the praise and glory of his name well let's pray father thank you and i just pray that you would Lord, as we dig into your attributes, that you would show us how stunning you are. That, Lord, we would walk out of this building blown away by the beauty and the glory of you are. That we would walk out of this building saying the same thing as Solomon, that you are altogether lovely, my love, and there is no flaw in you. Lord, do this in our hearts, that our lives would be changed miraculously, that we would live lives that glorify you. And may that even be lives that are humbled by your majesty. In your name, amen. Please stand, brothers and sisters, as we sing our last song.